2: A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter.
3: Go for it. I am being an adult today, Cody. I have a whiskey just like you have a
2: whiskey and it is Cinco de Mayo. I know we should be drinking margaritas, but
3: Polly or Johnny, Polly. It's Polly, but it says I'm Johnny. <laughs> Polly's got a margarita. Cheers, Polly. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for
4: keeping me a part of this.
2: No, we, you know, you are blood origins, Polly Anderson. You are the reason why we do this like your story i don't know
3: if cody has uh caught up on all of the what are you doing
0: Ah, oh, i'm good i got it my mic got is it? properly working you know i'm sorry okay and i've absolutely am caught up on the episodes
2: so polly's episode was amazing because you know there's things about episodes that you just don't, can't fathom at the time, right? And so we have footage of you and your mom together. Uh, You know, it's putting a smile on your face, it's putting a smile on my face. It was an awesome afternoon. You know, she wanted to get dolled up and she wanted to come out and, you know, be with you on the bridge and
3: reminisce and go through all the pictures of Africa. Um, It was fun. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I'll have forever, and especially now that she
4: passed away last March. I mean, my God, but, you know, the picture that you guys took of the two of us holding in one of the great pictures of that day is my phone. I mean, I see it all, you know, hundreds of times a day or maybe, but uh, anyway, it's something that I'll always treasure.
2: Well, why don't you go and introduce yourself, Polly? I could do, I'll introduce you a little bit once you finish introducing yourself. But uh, why don't you go and introduce yourself, Polly?
4: Well, my name is Polly Anderson Ball or on for YouTube. It says I'm Johnny Lane Ball. That's my husband. Um, I, I think you'll have to correct me on this, but I think I was in your first class that you taught in Mississippi State. Is that correct?
2: thousand percent correct.
4: Yeah. And this is funny. I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, literally that night before the first day of school, I flew in from that summer in Mozambique. And so I was completely jet lagged out of my mind. And I walked into your class and there you are with your African accent. I was like,
3: where, where am I? (laughs) (laughs) what's <laughs> happening yeah it anyway, was great
2: polly was a student of mine at mississippi state when i was a professor in the wildlife fisheries department i taught a class cody called applied aquatic and terrestrial ecology and i um
0: every every kid's college dream i'm sure
2: well the thing was it was this uh, according to the university department this was a and make it or break a class for the foresters and the wildlife fisheries guys. And the way that I used to couch it is mm-hmm. I was in charge of separating the bubbers who like to hunt and fish and are in a wildlife fisheries degree versus the guys that are going to look after my resources as, a, as for my kids and my grandkids one day. And I even think I said that exactly in the class. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, there's cam- there some camouflage worn in the class? That's what I want to know.
2: Oh, hell yeah. It's Mississippi State <laughs> University. Sure. It was the ag school.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: I will right. tell you a funny anecdote of my class. I was, very, I was, very, I was a strict teacher, and I, I guess Polly can back us up on this, but I was a strict teacher, a fair teacher, but a strict in terms of like, I wanted you there on time. I wanted you to respect the class. I wanted you to respect me kind of thing. And it wasn't in, in Polly's class, but it was like, I think two years later. I was having a test, and my policy for tests was I don't care at what time you arrive in my class for that test, but you have the time allotted for the time that you have. And we had all sat down, I passed out the tests, and like literally the door busted open, and this girl came in and she's like hobbling. And she sits down. And I'm like, what is going on here? I don't want to know. I'll just give her the test. So at the end, everybody hands in the test and she's still there. And I said, what's going on? Why are you limping? She was like, (laughs) she was like, on the way to your class, I was riding my bike and I got hit by a (laughs) car. (laughs) I was like, what? She was like, yeah, and I know that you weren't going to give me any time opportunities if, you know, I got in late or I couldn't make it. I couldn't do up the test. So I just came. I just said to the guy, I've got to go. I've got to get to this class.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. I hope you gave her an A. I yeah, mean- she was a good student. She was a good student.
2: So, yeah, Polly was in my first. State class that I ever taught at Mississippi State. She was also in season one of Blood Origins. Her mother is the original Miss Polly from Lynch Box Calls, Turkey Box Calls. She was the first uh, female in what was the place called in Liberty, Mississippi that you guys released the turkeys
3: on?
4: Longleaf, my grandfather.
3: And your mother was a 25 year old guide uh, to,
2: mm-hmm. you know, Cody was a guide and outfitter. And imagine a 25 year old Mississippi woman who was the first woman to ever graduate from a forestry degree with a forestry degree at Mississippi State University. And uh, she was guiding these guys that are supposed to turkey hunters. And they were like, no, no, you can do all the calling for us. We won't call any longer. That's well,
3: awesome.
4: uh, I'll expand on that just a minute because I know we have other things to talk about. But uh, mm-hmm. so. She used to take Mike Lynch turkey hunting all, all the time. And he noticed that turkey calls didn't really fit her hand because she's a petite woman. He went back to his shop, made a smaller call, brought it back, gave it to her. She used it. And that became what's called the Miss Polly special and all the turkey hunters on here, or that will listen, will know what I'm talking about. But that went on to become the foolproof, the Lynch foolproof box call. And he told her after, you know, he had sold a ton of them, you know, shortly before he died, he said, you know, Missy, everybody called my mom, Missy, they said, you know, Missy, you made me a million dollars and, um, they didn't name, they didn't call it the Miss Polly special for very long just because you know there were a lot of bubbles out there that wouldn't buy something that had Miss Polly on it so he called mm-hmm. it the foolproof because you could use it you know behind your back over your head between your legs whatever you needed to do and so pretty cool story
2: yeah didn't she do that saying look this is why it's called the foolproof and she went yeah 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 behind the back here, yeah here. and she could just do it whenever she however she
3: wanted yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one more thing to, to make you both jealous, because I don't know,
2: Polly may know what I'm about to show mm. you, but Cody probably has not been indoctrinated into this yet.
3: Do you know what this is? A cheeto a, puff? A stale cheeto puff. No, well, this is called a fling.
2: It's a South African maize cheeto puff. Oh. Ah.
3: And it is, I bring to put the back? processed cheddar cheese on. So it's actually worse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but I know we are way off subject already, but this is a good story too. I'm into stories today. Have you ever received a package that has those peanuts in it that are the biodegradable kind, right? That you can put in a sink and you can and- put water over and they disappear.
3: Yes. You actually can eat those and i have eaten them
0: Not just a now right in front of Polly and i just did you just have one right now
2: well the fling has the same
0: texture and consistency of those
2: peanuts it's just covered in what is almost like chicken salt or aromat
3: essentially is a spice in south africa you don't even have the tube Mm-mm. <laughs> you can like i'm sucking it and it disappears in my mouth. I don't have to chew it. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: So. Oh god. <laughs> all right. So we just we just got past you drinking mango fruity teas with honey sticks and now all of a sudden you're eating packaging popcorn. I don't this podcast oh is
3: <laughs> All right. Polly is ready. She's
2: got a pencil. She's taken notes. She's ready.
3: Oh man. I was so prepared.
2: <laughs> All right. Just like, you know, what, did you get an A in my class? I did. Okay. See, you've got a level now, a standard to reach. Okay. Right. Oh, God. Well, since you're the guest, do you want to start on any
3: particular uh, news article that has hit the waves this week? Well, for entertainment value or for subject Whatever mattered. you want. No rules. No rules. No rules. Okay. Um, can we start about the the bloodiest poacher in history just for a second? Um, Let's do it. That, that made me giggle a little bit. Um, now,
4: I'm not, I am not what he did was horrible Mm -hmm. but the title to me was just a bit dramatic which is i guess good journalism right i mean i would read it if i saw that too
2: uh so why don't you read the title to us
4: how did a wildlife lover become one of the bloodiest poachers in california history uh it seemed like he was a little wacky from the get-go.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, Cody, I mean, do you agree with him being a little wacky? wacky? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a little, you know, I mean-
0: <laughs> eccentric, eccentric maybe. Um, I, I, I completely agree with Polly that the title and the, sub, the subtitle then goes on to say, an anonymous tip led investigators to a scene of carnage. I mean, n- not condoning anything that he did and not denying that at a minimum he was an eccentric human being. Um, the title and the subtitle, Jake Flanagan that wrote this article deserves some type of an award just for the titling of the article. Um, yeah, because very, very dramatic.
3: Yeah, it was, a, it was a good one, for sure. And... Yeah, you know, again, outside the box that we of the typical stuff,
2: but you know, these kinds of things come across the airwaves and you know, crime scene, investigating. It's it had it all, right? It could be a CSI.
4: Yeah, it was fit for T V. But I mean what he did, hell, they could have made an episode about about that too. I mean that was pretty nasty.
2: Give us a give us a rundown of what he did, Polly. Can you give a summary?
4: Well, I mean, not a whole lot to it. He went out and he shot a whole bunch of predators because he thought he was saving the upland game bird population, or that was his reasoning in the article. And 150 kind of birds her. of prey. Yeah, I mean, a, a a gruesome number, and just left them. And apparently, that he had some hanging in a tree that were like. Uh, don't know if he was going for decorate. I don't
0: know what that was, but it was gross. It was
3: different.
0: Yeah, the, the hanging in the tree thing. I also think, you know, we've, um, maybe rightfully so, I don't know if it's right or wrong or indifferent. Like, do you think if it had been a different predator, that there would have been the up? Like, like, I think birds of prey have reached a kind of, uh, I don't, I, don't, I don't mean that they are charismatic megafauna, but they've reached that kind of public adoration, maybe what we've done with the bald eagle in the United States. Like, but yeah, I mean, what a scene to walk up to dozens of them hanging from the tree in a pile underneath the tree. And it's, uh, I don't, I would, do you ever want to spend time with these people? Am I the oddball? Like, I want about an hour with me. And Richard and I just want to see if I can get him to say why did you hang him up in the tree that I, I, I don't want this to happen I'm a lover of birds of prey um, I'd never, i never I don't kill them but the most interesting thing to me, I want to know why he hung him in the tree I, I want to know what he was thinking what his thought process was
4: maybe as a warning <laughs> keep the others away I don't know <laughs> right
0: right it looked like it the first warning didn't work another hundred and forty nine times. He was getting into them pretty good. That's a lot of birds of prey. That's a that's a you don't see the, see very many of them around. They are hell, hell on quail too. Red tail hawks in Kansas just are are rough on quail, but I've never so, shot one or so I'm
3: let's sure. take let's take the topic a little broader. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Let's be honest. Big quail placing plantations that their business is quail planting. We can't deny it doesn't happen. Not at the scale, for sure. No, yeah. I mean, it's not right. It's not good.
0: At the same time, they're like, do you, do you think it's time to reassess that? Do you think it's time to reassess the damage that having one species utterly protected has on another species? Hundred percent.
2: Everything needs to be reevaluated and reassessed. The cormorant is like the number one case study for that. Of cormorants, you cannot you cannot legally shoot cormorants, and I think it's changed a little bit. But they did some good science on the depredation of cormorants on catfish farmers, and it was like decimating. The crop. And so all of a sudden now you can have some depredation permits, type. But now there obviously has to be some regulation. Otherwise, we just saw what happens. So, well, there, there is regulation in place. In <laughs> but I think that there's always got to be a give and take in terms of wildlife and population dynamics and management. And especially if you're putting out, for instance, quail in a place and it's a, almost a free, free food resource, and you're naturally going to see predators increase in their abundance
0: never happen i got a hundred dollar bill says it'll never happen birds of prey will never be a suitable species ever whether it should or shouldn't
4: You you, you think it's just because of what we've created like like we've almost made them at the top of the totem pole like yeah i mean like the bald eagle kind of thing
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's that again I know I'm misusing the phrase, but I think it's that charismatic megafauna disease that, that for some reason we as humans have this, you know, extreme connection to one set of animals um and either don't to others or realize that there's a different use for them or I mean we look, at, we look at different species differently when it comes to do they need to be managed and how should we manage them.
2: 100%. Um, Africa,
0: being, Africa being the prime example with Americans. You know, I mean, I think that you're at like 82 83% of Americans that are vocally either supportive or indifferent to white-tailed deer hunting. And I bet you can flip that number when it comes to many african species regardless of those people's knowledge of those species populations they just decide you can't manage this lethally but this you can and it's not scientifically it's not a scientifically burdened opinion it's just i mean it's disney right um and i don't i don't understand it i don't how understand how you can Look at it that way, but I would say probably right below the wolf, and maybe the wolf and the grizzly bear, which is really weird. One, right? We have some places that have too many grizzly bears, we're completely okay with the hunting of black bears in the vast amount of the population. You change the color and make them bigger, and we're no longer okay with it. But I would say wolf, grizzly bear, birds of prey are the three North American. Species that the public would just have outright outrage, even if they're, you know, it's going to take their cat getting picked up by a hawk before they're, they'll look at the right. data on it. Right. Yep, hundred
3: percent. All right, I'll pick the next one. One to save our planet. Kill uh-huh. trophy hunt. Well, that yeah, that was a good segue. It's the why they evening pay me of the, dramatic headline. Yeah, it's it's the why they pay me the big bucks, Polly. I picked that article.
2: Yeah, you did, but I was I I, I saw the segue, so I.
0: No, no, no. I I planned all that.
3: <laughs> so yeah. good old good old HSUS, the
2: director of wildlife protection has decided to write an article about how trophy hunting it's all about carnivores in America and how on average, about a hundred thousand wolves, bears, mountain lions, and bobcats are killed by quote unquote trophy hunters every year for their
3: skins, heads, trophy. And bragging and bragging, correct. And bragging rights on social media.
2: So, I'll start with a little bit of science that came out of a good friend of ours out of Facebook who picked this up and did just a little bit of math. He goes, when you do the combined population of these predators, it's about 3.3 million. So there's approximately 30,000 mountain lions, 300,000 black bears, 16,000 wolves, 3 million bobcats. And so when you take a number of 100,000, it makes up about 3% of that number. 3% is well within boundaries of sustainable use
3: and poses no legitimate risk to populations of these credits. The other thing I will say is
2: we do not see any of these four animals decreasing in their populations. Not that I've seen, I haven't seen the science that shows that these populations are declining anywhere.
0: I did. I did for myself, which I'm not a big researcher, I much prefer Robbie to come up with the data and then I just act like I know what I'm talking about. But I did a fair amount of research on the populations for all four species. I found government articles, not pro hunting articles, but gov- I found population increases for all four yeah. species that that you you can make a legitimate data-burdened argument that all four species are on the increase in population. And the article is totally emotion. Like totally emotion. It leads you in with a headline of basically this is what's destroying the world, killing these four animals who popula- whose populations are in fact booming. I I I don't uh, well,
2: they have, um, in bold, unsustainable death tolls tied to trophy hunting, put imperiled species at risk of extinction. Yeah,
0: the, yeah. I, I, don't, I say this a lot. I don't understand. They're, they're just lying, right? I mean, they're just not telling the truth about the thing, which is what, in fact, in, it creates these sympathetic, emotional people who... Campaign so hard against it. I, I can't I, mark my words, in 10 years, California is going to have a really hardcore and legitimate mountain lion problem. Um, I read a stat while I was researching the the stats to have on this article and I didn't write it down, so I forgot it. But something like 80% of the mountain lion on human attacks that have happened in California in history have happened in the last 10 years. And I, I, I don't, I'm not sitting here claiming that mountain lions are a human danger right now in a drastic enough way. But it, it, it's incredible to me that when you have populations rising of a predator and populations rising of humans, that you don't see a management mandate that has to come there. Um, and it's articles that like this that convince people otherwise coming from what you know, a lot of people believe is a legitimate source.
3: What do you think, Polly? Well, I,
4: that was one thing that I wrote down was total emotion. Um, and the other thing that I thought was that it was really like, generalistic. Is that a word? It can be today. It's gonna be a word today. I mean, she did not really it was just like painting a a a real picture with a real big paintbrush i mean there was nothing in there that 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 was a hardcore fat you know um and yeah i mean that goes back to it being total emotion and i mean i didn't expect anything else when i saw the source of the article um and then also, I had also highlighted that statement that you said just a minute ago, Robbie, is that it, unsustainable death tolls tied to trophy hunting put imperiled species at risk of extinction. I mean, how dramatic
3: Yeah, one of the things that we that? like
2: to say all the time, and this is a seed for everyone to put in the back of their brains, is that in the world that we live in today, regulated hunting, ever since the 30s, when laws were put in place, There has not been a single species on the planet that has gone extinct
3: because of hunting. That is fact. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is true.
2: So when someone says hunting has caused a bunch of things to go extinct, what they're talking about is the market hunting that occurred in the late 1800s, the bison, the passenger pigeon, yada, yada, yada. In which there was just a free-for-all there were no regulations and it was a demand and supply type scenario um so any last words on hsus
0: oh you want to (laughs) extend the podcast (laughs) i don't get why they don't do things that actually helps animals i'm perfect they have every right in the world to be anti-hunting they have every right in the world to have an anti-hunting platform but they use all their money to attack just the wrong thing i would never argue with them to be pro-hunting i would never argue with them to stop publicly being anti-hunting i understand a person's right to be against the killing of an animal but they're not doing they're not helping like they're not helping the animals and that's the part that that blows my mind the multiple times we we several times Polly, have had a conservation project and i and you know, out of the kindness of my heart get on social media and ask multiple animal rights groups to help us fund this we never do it with a project where we're moving animals that may be hunted in the future it's just a con it's a straight conservation project um never like they tell us they can't do it that they can't get involved with it um they they have zero interest in actually helping the animals and a plethora of interest in fundraising all right i'm done i know robbie's seething because i'm dragging this out long. oh
2: don't seethe! come on i never see you he just just hides it (laughs) okay polly you don't have this article so you did not prepare for this and Cody has thrown it in here. I think I know why he threw it in here, but we'll let Cody describe why he decided to throw a, well, he's a fly fishing fanatic. He is becoming a fly fishing nut because he lives in Colorado now. So he's getting real uppity and he has all of the flies tied to his hat and all that kind of stuff, you know? And so he decided that we needed to discuss a fly fishing article on a roundup tied to hunting. I can't wait to hear this
3: one. Aren't we all on read- the same team? Exactly.
0: And this is even, one, this is, even, yeah. this is a, so the article, the article is based here's the summary of the article. The author's driving out to go fly fishing. His buddy and him are having a conversation like right as he's pulling up to the river and the conversation is, do you tie your flies on at the truck? Or do you wait till you get to the water and observe to to decide what you're going to tie on? The author then goes on to say, I tie my flies on at the truck, but it's only because I need something to hold the rod tip on. Because one time while I was walking to the river, my rod tip fell off. And if if you have flies tied and hooked, your rod tip would stay on even if it came loose. And then he goes to say that the secret to the whole thing is it doesn't matter. Do it your way. Do it the way you're comfortable with. He even points out some things that kind of sunk into me that none of us in, in this article are fly fishing to feed our families. And I won't say none, in, but very, very, very few of us are hunting because we can't get food any other way. A lot of us are feeding our families that way, very few of us out of an actual necessity of it. Quite honestly, it's probably more expensive to hunt animals legally in the United States than it is to buy groceries. Um, The gist of it was, who cares? There's no right or wrong way. Go do it the way that you enjoy it. And then the whole rest of his article is just explaining this um, overthinking process, overanalyzing, which then turns into critiquing. That's the point that's set hard with me is if your if you're, if you're hunting buddy or your neighbor or somebody on Facebook is doing it a legal but different way than you, shouldn't, shouldn't we just let them be? Shouldn't we just – and I'm, I'm not talking about people that are doing things that are hurting the sport, people that are doing things that are unethical or people that are doing things illegal. I'm talking about someone that wants to – like right now, a big one, and I'm going to tell you right now, I take personal offense to this. There's so many people that are against going after a turkey. I never really knew it till like two years ago that if you sit down and you can't call it in, you've lost. Hopefully, nobody on the podcast gets mad at me. I completely disagree. I move like a wild man through the woods. If I lose a bird coming to me and re reposition, and a hundred percent at times, I've made it my mission to just cut them off when they're moving away from me. And I, the the amount of just. Uh, Judgment and critique that that and, and you know social media exacerbates the access and the ability of that so much. Um, but the article was just refreshing to me. The guy coming out and not claiming, even though he is a writer for Hatch Magazine, it's a phenomenal fly fishing magazine by the way. Even though he's a writer for them, um, that that mantra that he gave in that article just made me feel good. So I put it on the list.
4: I like that good news. And I mean, I think we run into this, we kind of said it, but we run into this all the time in the hunting world. I mean, we forget that we come, that we're on the same team, you know, and you know, the the big one is crossbows or, uh, traditional archery or, you know, whatever. Everybody has something negative to say about the other. And,
3: um, I'm with you. Yeah. I just. Yeah, it's one of the things that I struggle with the most, right? And in the article it says, there is no right
2: way, there is no wrong way. Just listen to your heart and do whatever makes you happy. When someone tells you that you have to do things their way, or when they try to impose their unconsidered preconceptions
3: or biases on your, they say, fishing, or
2: whatever you want to be,
3: I guess we just lost Cody, then... Where was I? Fishing. Ignore them. We'll tell them to go away as long as you're not hurting
2: yourself or anyone else. And as long as you're not trashing the resource or treating the fish with anything less than respect, you're golden.
3: So, yeah, it's something that I struggle with the most. Actually, you know, it's, it's, I guess you're you're almost
2: in a conundrum. You're always worried. I'm always worried about what other people think.
3: Yeah. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Constant struggle
0: constant constant right. struggle welcome back it's Cody. My, my, my internet got mad at me for wanting to everyone to get along and hold hands and be happy
2: okay well welcome <laughs> yeah. back you just missed a very deep heartfelt moment of mine
0: i'll, I'll watch the episode i apologize that was a good article cody it was a good article thank you for thank bringing
3: you for it sharing. forward thank you for sharing is that what we're supposed to be? Say? say thank you for sharing. Very good, Robbie. Good manners. Um, okay. Let's tackle uh there's a there's two
2: big articles left. Two big subjects left. So the first one I think we should
3: tackle is the Grand Canyon Bison hunt. Polly, did you submit an application
2: to go hunt a bison in the Grand Canyon?
3: I did not,
4: and did but I will say I checked the dates for the deadline for it, and you know s- sadly they've passed.
2: Cody, did you apply uh, for a potential hunt in bison in Grand Canyon
0: National Park? I did. You had to attestify uh, You had to testify. You had to attest. Excuse me, to your, uh, um, like how good a shape you're in i'm not really much of a liar yeah physical fitness that's the word i was looking for i apologize um i may not get selected because i was pretty honest there that you know i mean i think i get it done but they may want to have a medic close by i'm not in that great shape
2: did they did you notice that they specifically said you had to carry the the meat out of the fields yourself
3: that's yep. what was my next comment yeah you know the hind quarter weighs double what you weigh Polly. Yeah. I would
0: have got it done. It just would have taken me a really long time. I'm just slow.
3: You might have been there past the week,
0: right? Right, yeah, or recruited a bunch of
2: friends. So, you know, I think the way that the National Park Service has approached it has been, you know, pretty darn good in that normally, normally in this scenario, hunters would have been excluded. They would have used government contractors, government sharpshooters, come in, take care of the animals. No real benefit of the animal to anyone. So, bring in hunters, let them be proven mm-hmm. physically uh, that they can shoot. I think the, what was the prerequisite? Four shots in a four-inch circle at 100 yards?
0: Uh, yeah, something like that. There's the, you, have to, you have to stand in front of them and shoot. or. Go yeah. prone in front of them and shoot. Yeah. So,
2: you know, real strict criteria. Uh, they're probably, you know, very well controlled. Again, if nobody's if this is news to people that they haven't heard before, the reason being is that the bison are overpopulated in Grand Canyon National Park. You cannot hunt legally in Grand Canyon National Park. The, the bison tags that you can get in Arizona are for bison leaving Grand Canyon in the winter. And there's a bunch of water holes on the edges that people get to hunt. One of our Uh, episodes, Blood Origins episodes, a lady called Brittany Passmore out of Preston, Arizona. She actually shot a bison last year. She got a tag outside of Grand Canyon. But they don't often leave the national park. And so the herd has increased, the population's increased, and the effect on the ecosystem is now at a detrimental point. And so they have to reduce the population by... I thought I read 200 individuals, but they're only going to select 25 people
0: to be able to hunt? I don't remember reading the number of bison, um, but yes, I believe there's 25 people that they're, if I'm not mistaken, that was the number.
4: It said they wanted to reduce it to below 200, um, the
3: bison herd. So number one. So it says, in uh, the, national, so to, uh,
2: the National Park Service issued a finding of no significant impact, which is a FOMC, to reduce the number of bison on the North Rim of the Grand Canyon National Park from around 600 bison to less than 200 using lethal removal with skilled volunteers and non-lethal capture and live removal. We do know that they removed 88
3: bison, whether it was this year or last, it was last year i think okay
2: so i guess you know another 25 to be taken out maybe it's just maybe a, a, a gradual plan not to take them all down maybe not reduce it all to 200 in 2021 it's just a gradual every year they're going to knock
3: knock a little portion off the off the population
0: that's a good approach right yeah, i mean yeah, that's it's a, a great uh, approach especially when you see population estimates that vary from four to 600. I mean, you just, you, you, you bring it down and do what you need to do. I think it's maybe important to discuss why, like quickly, why you don't just transplant those bison. Like I'm the first one to admit that Yellowstone does the same thing. Um, Yellowstone does an actual slaughter um, as well as some tag situations in the, in the Gwa in the greater Yellowstone area. Um, and at that time, I wasn't uh, spending my time daily talking to a scientist, so I didn't know why they didn't just relocate them. I do know, have, I have messed with American bison before, and they're not fun to try and move. They're not like a cow, and they don't do what they're told, and they destroy things. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a scientific reason that it's complicated to move them. Correct, Robbie?
2: Well, you've got brucellosis which is a, a major issue when it comes to moving bison around and it's tied to cattle and foot and mouth disease. And I, I, I don't believe, hold on. So they do have a, a, I did look this up though. They do have a, a, an FAQ national park service. And one of the questions is do bison living in the grand Canyon have brucellosis? And the answer is no. It says none of the bison at grand Canyon have tested positive brucellosis. So you do have a, a population that is free of brucellosis that may reduce the, um, reduce the requirement of quarantine. But at the end of the day, it does come down to money. It does come down Man. to helicopters catching, moving, transporting, especially in the Grand Canyon. Can you imagine trying to, Polly? you may have seen, you know, game capture in Africa, you know, try to do game capture in in Grand Canyon National Park with bison is probably not a cheap endeavor.
3: No,
4: and the amount of times that you would have to do it, you know, I mean, how many, the endeavor itself would be incredibly complicated, but Mm -hmm. then you would have to do it so many different times to move that many animals. It just seems like it would bleed too much money.
0: Absolutely, when it comes to tax dollars. I mean, I, I think this is a is a wise approach when you and when you look at it as a as a geographic population um, that's overpopulated. I think this is. I'm 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 a big fan of this approach by the National Park Service. Um, I think this is this is exactly how they should take care of it. It's a revenue generator for them, as opposed to, and same end result, right? I mean, they were there if if they'd have gone with government sharpshooters it's it's still less buffalo, it's still killing buffalo um but I applaud them i I think it's a good story sorry
4: I said, wouldn't they have had to pay these people though, like government contractors? Yeah, yeah. yeah no,
0: absolutely. It's a revenue out versus revenue in. Um, but I'm saying it's the same end result. It's not like the other it's not like anyone that's opposed to to this solution because people are shooting buffalo. The other option is still people shooting buffalo. It's just taxpayers paying them to do it, probably in helicopters which are expensive to run um no i i'm a i'm a, I'm a big fan of this solution as a government based solution yeah
3: me too yeah i think I'm on the same page as you, Cody. I think that we would obviously, from a blood origins
2: perspective, be very keen to figure out how you could capture more bison because there's plenty of areas, plenty of Indian reservations, plenty of other national parks, plenty of wildlife refuges that would love to have bison. But the trick is like, how do you get it there? And, off, and often the biggest hurdle is brucellosis, and that you have to put them in quarantine for 180 odd days. And like, how do you keep and keep them fed over 180 days there's the logistics and the money and it's just a lot of hurdles i guess if it was easy somebody would have figured it out already
0: i bet the usda would still make you quarantine those arizona buffalo
3: oh no
2: doubt bet- because they no this no answer that they have here is probably from the 57 or 88 that they have captured and pulled blood samples from. So, you know, they can say yes to those, but they can't legitimately say that they are completely free of brucellosis in the entire population.
0: Yeah. Another good news story, really. I I, I do think that uh, it intrigues me on... Any Anytime you have a supply and demand issue like this, where there's people over here that really want this thing, and there's people over here that have too much of that same thing, um, it intrigues me to explore a solution, um, but at the same time, I applaud the uh, federal government, which is about a once a decade deal for me, and um, in, in the way that they're handling this one, because the, the, the tens of millions of tax dollars that it would take to, to, to relocate them is not the solution.
2: Well, let me go to the next article, which will maybe up your applauding of the federal government to two times every 10 years, which is the fact that on Gear Junkie, an article just got published today, actually yesterday, that the U.S. government proposes largest expansion of hunting and fishing opportunities to date. Today, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced a proposal for new or expanded hunting and sport fishing opportunities. These include hunting and fishing for game species across 2.1 million acres at 90 national wildlife
3: refuges and on the lands of one national fish hatchery.
0: Yeah, I'm not giving, go ahead, Polly.
4: Well, I I was just going to ask for the scientists to explain one thing to me. Um, In the article, it said that the proposed, the new proposed rule would open or expand 939 opportunities for hunting or sport fishing. And then it goes on to describe opportunity, like the definition is one Mm -hmm. species on one field station. Correct. What does that mean?
2: So the, the way that I read that is the 939 is a very big number. 939 is a much stronger number than 90 national wildlife refuges. So let's talk, let's use one of these examples. Let's use Florida Panther National Wildlife Refuge has increased turkey hunting. They may also increase, they may change the pig hunting regulations and they may also change the whitetail hunting regulations instead of counting that as one hunting change a change in hunting at one wildlife
3: refuge they counted as three i see yeah there's probably
0: 90 white-tailed deer increases there i'm guessing it's probably that's not but i mean there may be nine at all 90 spots you can hunt more white-tailed deer or hunt white-tailed deer that you couldn't previously so that's 90 increases right there the other
2: thing could be that they say field station very purposely that a, a wildlife refuge could be split, in, split up into various units or various field stations and
3: up increasing opportunities on those various field stations also then multiply the number.
4: Well, I mean, that's also, I mean, that's three good news in this one discussion that we're having.
2: Yeah, and good news is good. You know, we, we tend to, we tend to get, you know, look at the bad news and us getting bashed left, right and center um, a lot, but good news is, is always good. Uh, there's a lot of good things happening with hunting and fishing and, and sometimes we forget about it. Cody deserves a second applause this
3: decade from you.
0: No, like, ha- I don't understand it quite yet. Like, why do you think they're doing it? Uh,
3: honestly, I think that everyone thinks that this administration is against hunting.
2: And this is saying, no, we're not. Because look at us, we're expanding this opportunity. We're expanding it beyond any other opportunity has ever been expanded before. You've got the Deb Haaland situation where she's you know, trying to kick non-resident hunters out of Alaskan
3: federal lands, right? At the same right. time as this being dropped. Coincidence? And then I guess my second
0: thing is, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm, I'm, I, maybe I'm trying to create conversation by being a devil's advocate here, but should we be hunting refuges? Absolutely. Seems contrary to my layman's understanding of the word. Well, so
4: maybe they should be caught. Yeah, is what you're saying.
0: Hunting parks? and i i don't know the science i don't know the science at all like i'm not saying we shouldn't be hunting refuges i'm asking an honest question of i grew up in south central kansas and i'm telling you right now it's still to this day an unkept or a kept waterfowl secret it's led, i've i've shot ducks in 20 states and it was never better consistently than it was in south central kansas Um, And I'm pretty positive that that had to do with the refuge system there um, and that sanctuary that those birds got. So I don't quite grasp, should we or should we not be hunting refuges?
2: Well, I think the refuge system was built, to your point, the refuge system was built to build populations of animals all around the country, to give them rest, to give them sanctuary so that their populations could
3: increase. Populations have increased quite significantly. So those refuges have large
2: populations of wildlife, and all refuges are touched by human hands.
3: So they're gonna need some sort of management. And they typically have their own,
4: um, you know, management right i mean they they can they work with the st- i mean they have they have their own um you know numbers and
3: things and off taken and... well they should they'll have all like the that... science well the, the i just national... i I'll go back go ahead go ahead no you go
4: I, I really wasn't going to say anything important. I was just going to go back to, you know, when I was at Mississippi State, that's really the only refuge that I've had a whole
3: lot of experience with. Um, but uh, but they, you could hunt on Noxiebee. Yes. Yes.
4: But they, I mean, you know, did they not, they had their own set of rules and regulations.
2: That's right.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and so that's the same thing that's happening here. Refugees are just going from some sort of regulation to that's a different true. set of
0: regulations.
4: So it's based on, you know, it's, a, it's an individual refuge type situation, hopefully.
0: 100%. Except yeah. the article states that part of the bill is to get these refuge rules and regulations in line with the states that they reside in.
2: Which is to reduce confusion, which is a good thing. I remember very talking- distinctly, Cody Heidschmidt. I remember very, very distinctly that you were the one who was saying that nobody, we shouldn't be complicating things
0: because that's a detriment to hunting. So here they're oh, trying to simplify I, things. Well, but are, is it okay to take a national refuge and put the same season dates and bag limits as the rest of the state? It makes sense. If it's, if it's in it makes the same I, again i'm not taking a stance here i'm i just the, the the two cheyenne bottoms national wildlife refuge and quivira national wildlife refuge were the duck and goose places that i was constantly trying to find a place to hunt close to but you didn't want to drive on those places with the sh- i mean there was zero hunting on those places of any kind of animal whatsoever. I'm telling you right now, they could auction a whitetail hunt on Quivira National Wildlife Refuge and get six figures because there is monster whitetails on there because no one can hunt it. Um, And that's, so genuinely, I'm not taking a stance here. I I was confused in my experience, which is obviously contrary and limited. um, You could, the refuges that I grew up around, you didn't go on them with a shotgun in your truck. I don't know if that was actually a rule, but we were threatened with that as kids, so we never did it. Many a times, staged a shotgun in the woods so that I could go drive through the refuge, took it out and came back and got it, put it back in my truck after I got off the refuge because we were scared that you weren't allowed to even have it while you were there. So it's a, it was an honest question.
3: Well, look, we are at, uh, we're
2: getting hit, we're hitting close to the hour mark. And I know we had one big, one, Additional big topic to cover, so I don't know if we want to hit that or not because it could potentially blossom. And
0: what do you think, think? Oh, I think with our with the guests that we have, I don't I don't think we can skim over it. All right. Well, Polly,
3: which one?
0: The biggest. I think, the I biggest think... topic on there.
3: Okay. You want to tackle it? polly
4: no 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 because, no somebody else start because i really i mean which one are we talking about i, I see that there are two big ones here
3: two big ones left yeah there's, there's two there's well, two I'm, articles left for sure but they're all tied to the same thing which is captive bred lions okay dun, dun, dun. I, I thought you were going to talk about the wolves. oh the wolves uh the wolves are nothing ah forget the wolves
2: captive bred lions have, have, have dominated the You're probably talk about the, that all the time the no, captive no. bread lion situation has just dominated the airline airwaves this year uh, this this year this is the whiskey speak this week and um It is a conundrum. It is a conundrum. We will say it. It's a conundrum. I will have a differing opinion than Cody will have, and Polly will probably have a differing opinion than either of us have. Um, captive bred Lions have been almost the, the thorn that has been in the hunting side for forever. And I say thorn because a lot of people think it's a scourge. A lot of people think it's bad. It's a bad thing. I don't agree with captive bred lion
3: hunting i will make that statement um but i don't know if cody i think you have a different opinion i don't think you have a different opinion i think you've got a you've, you
0: work through i have an argument in your loose. brain a
2: better than i do
0: well or worse than you do i think is the way that i look at it i think it's appalling i, I think when you see someone go up and you know in a in a a half an acre pin i don't think that's a good thing but what i don't understand or what needs to be clarified for me i almost think someone needs to put like an acreage limit on this thing are people in south africa going to be allowed to still get lions and put them on their fenced-in properties, regardless of the size, and then hunt them? Will someone that has 30,000 acres still be able to go get a lion, bring it in, and sell that hunt? Is that part of this? That, that, is that still a captive-bred lion? Yep, that's all. I that's just think it's. This.
3: This. It. Go ahead, Polly. I just was saying that was the way that I
4: read it, that that all captive breeding of lions was to be banned.
2: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing here is I think we all are on the same page of that we do not agree with the practice. That, you know, very, very small pens being raised for one specific reason— but there's so, many, there's, so much, there's, a, there's so many tentacles to this thing, right? Let's just, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll capture maybe a couple of them, but people go to South Africa and they go to the Rhino Park outside of Johannesburg and you get to pet lions. Huge ecotourism driver. That's gone now with this. Like that's not going to happen any longer. Is that ethical or non-ethical? That's, a, that's also a big debate. The whole, the bigger issue for me is when it comes to banning things, whether it's snake leather, whether it's elephant ivory, whether it's rhino horn, and when it comes to lions, lion bones, I don't know if a lot of people know listening to this, lion bone is a very, it's a thing that is desired by the East, by the Asian markets for medicinal purposes. If this whole captive bred lion thing is put into place, and I think the number
3: is 8,000 lions are in current captivity are going to be utilized. What then? Where, where's the demand for bone going to come from? Is the demand of bone going to go up? It's probably going to go up. And then where it's is not, it going to come from?
0: It's not a question there's literally nothing in the world that was ever made illegal that someone didn't create a black market for zero, not a single thing ever. Um, and
3: you know, honestly, you can take a look at
0: everything that we've tried to make illegal. Um, and, and, and history proves itself out that that's what will happen. Um, I don't want anyone to take this in defense of of the horrendous side of captive bred lion hunting. I still contend that there has to be some kind of definition because I kind of think all, correct me if I'm wrong, Robbie, that pretty much everything hunted in South Africa is technically behind a fence. Right? I mean, or close, if not everything? Uh, not
2: really. Not really. It, you know, there's low-fence places and there's open, there's large, very, very large open vistas that have cattle fencing, if you want to call that fencing. But yeah, the, there are a lot of high-fenced places in South Africa. There are a lot of high-fenced places that have sustainable animal populations on them that the owners of those places will supplement genetics. They'll buy a sable, they'll buy a buffalo, they'll buy a whatever, and they'll place it on their game launch to in- enhance the diversity. But their acreage is large enough that, that they're self-sustaining breeding herds of animals. But I'll also say there's also other places, put and take places that, you know, they'll, they'll buy a sable, they'll put it on, and the client comes in,
3: A week later and it's it's possibly knocked over um it it, it is what it is
0: i wish that captive bred lion hunting didn't happen i still have a lot of questions in my mind about making it illegal that's my stance right there
2: i think that's a very very i think that's a very astute stance because i think that there is an opportunity no, it's not a cop out. I think it's an astute stance because I think there's a lot of things that maybe the mark was missed on, right? How could have captive bred lion
3: industry con been the catalyst for wild lion conservation? Correct. Right. You know, could
2: they have set very specific legal ramifications or hunting structures built into the wild lion um, uh, sort of the captive bred line hunting game and a friend of mine sent me some ideas like minimum acreage like you just talked about cody minimum time put an animal in it has to be there for 30 days be very specific yes this is what you're hunting
3: it was raised in captivity and it's that's what you're hunting just be honest right there's, I think, there's a lot
2: of things that maybe the mark was missed on back in the day, and it's obviously too late to rectify now. But I think Cody, you're, you're you're nailing it. That.
3: And what would you
4: do with the breeders? How would you keep, you know, because this ban on the captive breeding also focuses on the treatment of these lions mm-hmm. in these breeding facilities, right? So, I mean, we just touched on what would happen when they were released into. These game ranches uh, and some things that would, I guess, that would help uh, as far as being them being hunted. But what happens before
3: that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and
4: and this article mentioned some. He had some suggestions. You know, at the end, like um random visits i guess to these facilities and maybe a couple of other things in there i don't remember um but i do have a question and i want to ask this and i don't know if you two have thought about it but it it, at the beginning of one of the articles it said that um they were set to prohibit the captive breeding of lions and then it said also kill off at least eight thousand supposedly Mm -hmm. captive lions and then it didn't really talk a whole lot more about that. Um, so, uh, I am wondering. Well, what does that mean? what What, what are what are those eight to ten thousand lions on the table for? Right. I mean, are they just going to be killed,
3: euthanized, and then what? Right. And then destroyed, or did either of you?
0: I read it, but I don't have an answer to your question. I mean, I my my assumption is the worst, that yes, just killed and destroyed. Um, I also don't know, you know, if it's a wives' tale. I, I don't know if you could release them. I don't know if they could go somewhere. I don't know if they could help. I don't understand if they have the natural instincts to go repopulate somewhere with lions. Um,
2: Yeah, I don't know anything about the rewilding. You know, are there places that could take these lions and almost be sanctuaries, or you know, wild, you know, preserves or game reserves that would be willing to take them and not hunt them? I assume would be part of the deal. Those are good questions, and obviously, this whole report that what we're talking about is a very high-level report came out from the minister uh, Barbara Creasy, I believe her name is, Um, and this panel of experts um and there's some controversy to the panel of experts and who was made up of the panel but it was a panel of experts that was brought together to discuss policies legislation and practices tied to essentially the big five minus buffalo so it was elephant lion leopard and rhinos and how you manage them in south africa and and how their breeding hunting and trade is handled essentially and rhinos are in the same boat rhinos are privatized rhino horn is a commodity rhino horn is being stockpiled i even saw an article today out of zimbabwe where the news articles were saying we have 600 million dollars worth of ivory stockpiled in zimbabwe and we cannot sell it to save the the wildlife that we have on the ground like we can't use it to
3: aid what we, we we so desperately want to save because of trade I don't know if anybody's ever going to get to the bottom of it. There's obviously strong opinions on both sides of the coin, right?
2: That's what we, why we had both articles there. We had one side of the article, which was, this is the best thing that we've ever heard. The other article was like, do they understand the ramifications
3: of what they're about to do?
4: There was one encouraging thing that I read in another article when I was kind of researching this a little bit, uh, and that the report that, they keep referring to that there was some positivity there about hunting um just in general and just because i know that there are some people that probably feel like uh you know let's ban this one thing and then is that sort of a slippery slope into the you know getting rid of other hunting opportunities but it said that the report said there was a need for south africa to be repositioned and promoted as a destination of choice for legal, regulated, and responsible responsible hunting of the five iconic species, recognizing this supports and promotes conservation and rural livelihoods. And that was really telling to me, I thought that that was encouraging that there was at least some level-headed people in there. Uh,
2: I like the the, the other opinion that I saw that I very, very much appreciated and I liked a lot was that we are going to Put our foot, like, stomp our foot on the ground and say, We are going to be the foremost export, um, foremost experts in the potential rhino trade discussion because yeah. we hold the most rhinos and we hold the most rhino horn. So we should be the experts. We should be the ones pushing at the front of the pack. When they said it comes to elephants, they said, We don't have nearly right. the elephant population that Zimbabwe has or Botswana has, and we'll be happy to lend support to those, but that is not something that we
3: are the experts at because we don't have the resources that everyone else has.
0: It's a modest and humble approach, rare these
3: days. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I liked it. But look, I don't think this is going to be the last conversation we have about caprio-bred lions. I'm on several WhatsApp groups and several Facebook groups that it's just it's just compounding every single day. And all the things that we've just discussed plus more are just going round and round and round.
3: And unfortunately who knows? We'll just have to wait and see, essentially, you know, what happens with wild lions. Yeah. I think unfortunately it did taint a little bit, uh, the
4: reputation, I'm sure that you have heard or agree that it tainted the, um, the lion hunting, era, as the industry in South Africa. And I mean, this was inevitable, right? I mean, I think that this was coming.
3: Oh yeah. It's
2: been coming for a long time. And the, the guy who sent me some yeah. of the suggestions was like, you know, 10 years ago, they were facing this exact thing and at that point the line the the captive bread line industry could have stepped up and done a bunch of different things um but i guess for one reason or another it didn't happen
0: is there captive real quick i don't want to extend this cuz i don't think there's a solution but is there captive could i i don't want to but could i go to south africa and go to a hundred foot by hundred foot pin and shoot a sable or a, or a heart of bees or a zebra? I don't know.
3: I don't know. Um, I think that that is probably
2: something that is something that happens. I don't know if it's a hundred foot by a hundred foot, but I do know that people have paddocks where they have certain
3: animals. Um. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm
0: give me like three minutes. Bear with me. This it it just all cleared up in my head. This is the problem. Is why is it just lying? That that's the problem in my brain. That's why when I've been saying to you, Robbie, for like four or five days, as I stumble through trying to figure out what I feel about this, what I I was way more emotional than I meant for it to be. What what my opinion is on this. That's it right there. Why is it just lying? I mean, someone needs to say, or I, I'm not. I don't want to say someone needs to say. I would feel better about this if someone said, "Look, if you got a 500 acre enclosure, and something's been there for 30 days, you can hunt it." I made both those numbers up. I have no data the actual numbers. But if I can go over there. And they got a sable in a truck trailer that I could shoot if I want. Why is it just lions? And that it goes back to that charismatic megafauna. We think differently of other animals than we do certain animals. Um, that's the part of, in my brain that makes this not gel system perfectly. Well, I also why is it just lions? If- I
2: think the other, I think the other thing that it's just lions is that when you look at how lions are bred they're bred in these almost like confined pens right that are a hundred foot by a hundred foot that has almost like a dog kennel in it or it has an area that they can get out of the out of the sun and whatnot that doesn't happen with sable or impala or zebra or wildebeest those places that are breeding those animals are game ranches that are you know maybe a thousand hectares maybe two thousand Hectares, whatever, but they're much larger areas. You can't confine sable to 100 by 100 foot because it's just uh, maybe you can. Based on what I'm, my, I guess my general thought pattern is in the game ranching world, when it comes to wildlife, game, plains game species, those are typically ranched off of large properties that have an excess of those animals
3: and they are then sold at a game auction to then be sold and placed on other people's problems okay and i guess then that helps a little so the breeding and the way that they're kept is to me completely different
0: yeah okay like i said i wish it didn't happen i haven't been able to wrap my head around agreeing or disagreeing Mm -hmm. with the complete banning of it because Again, I firmly believe that the banning of anything just leads to an illegal black market of that thing and it needs to be thought through.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, Polly Anderson, you survived your first roundup. First? Great. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Need to figure out a light for you. The Mississippi sun has set. I know. I know. Um, it added to I the mean... mood yeah
2: i apologize for how much cody spoke over the last hour but he tends to dominate
3: conversations (laughs) (laughs) well we enjoyed it polly thank you so much you've been
2: a huge part of the blood origins family and um, again thank you for agreeing to be on here and thank you for you and thank you for mom yeah
4: thank you robbie nice to meet you cody